Chicago, Illinois, 1896. William Jennings Bryan gave a speech that secured for him his party's nomination to run for president of the United States. When a friend complimented him on his speech, Bryan said to his friend, this convention was my opportunity, and I wanted to make the most of it. And then he paused and thought for a moment and said this. He said, and that's about all we do in this world is use or lose our opportunities. I think that's an interesting statement, using or losing our opportunities. You know, there's a sense in which that statement sums up your life and mine. You are where you are today because of opportunities you've used or lost. We're products of what we've done with our opportunities. All of us have in different times and in different ways, both seized and missed opportunities. All of us. We've, we, we've, we've laid hold and seized the day and we've, we've missed it. Big juicy fat fastball right down the middle and we've swung and missed. All of us. But what I want you to see today is that there is before all of us a golden opportunity to make our lives count for Jesus. If you love and follow Jesus, you have before you, no matter where you've been or what you've done, if you follow Jesus, you have before you a golden opportunity to make your life count for him, to make your life count for what matters most. And that's what this teaching series is really, it's all about. It's called, I am a Christ follower. We call it the 5G life. I am a Christ follower, living life for what matters most. And we want to, what we want to do in this series and in this season as a church is to, is to make, to be uh, focused on and committed to making the best use of our time, to, to live for eternal significance, to live for what matters most. And so we're calling us as a church, we're, we're calling one another to five life-shaping commitments, investments of time, called this 5G life. The 5Gs, God time, gather time, group time. Next week, God willing, is go time. But today is give time, give time. And I wonder if you would please turn in the Bible to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to look at this morning verses 7 to 11. 1 Peter 4 verses 7 to 11. And um, as you're doing that, I'm just going to remind you of sort of this is our overview. If we just go back one slide there for a second, just our overview of our series here, where we've been, where we're going, and uh, we're really working our way through here. Look, we only have one more sermon after today in this series, but let's just review where we've been. The target here is a Christ follower. This is our. This is the definition of who we are. This is who we are. It's what we're about. It's our passion. It's our ambition. It's it's our really. It defines us. That we are Christ followers. I am a Christ follower. We are Christ followers. That's the target. The theology that works that works out from this is is these summarized by these three words: abide, connect, share. Every follower of Christ must abide in Him. I cannot follow Jesus if I don't abide in Him. Cultivating that personal relationship with Him. Every follower of Jesus must also connect with other believers, and every follower of Jesus must share what He gives to me. I must. share. 
share with others. And the application of this, our target, our theology, now the application of this is what we're calling the five G's. God time, gather time, group time. Next week is go time. But today here we see the focus, the magnifying glass on this thing, <coughs> excuse me, called give time. And 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11, uh, helps us to see what it is we mean and what it looks like when we're talking about give time. Peter writing to some suffering saints, some persecuted Christians, writes to give them, well, to refresh their hope, but also to remind them that they got a mission. They got a life to live for Jesus. See what he, see what he says to them here in 1 Peter 4, beginning at verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, in other words, most importantly, here's the greatest thing. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a text. What a passage. Give time. Let's start here with a description. What do we mean when we're talking about give time? What is give time? Well, it's this. Give time is a resolve to steward the gifts that God has entrusted to me. It's a resolve. It's a decision. It's a faith commitment. A resolve to steward the gifts that God has entrusted to me. What I have from God through Jesus, what Christ has given me, I'm called to give to others. And remember, it's out of this conviction that as a Christ follower, I am called to share, to share what has been given to me. If I will follow Christ, then I must give of self. To be a Christ follower is to give, is to decide, to agree with the Lord that I will give of self. After all, it was Jesus who said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus in his own life came to give. And as followers of Jesus, we follow in his steps. We serve a Savior who died for us. That's defining in terms of how we'll proceed about giving of self. Jesus also said in John 13, the, the night before he died, he washed his disciples' feet and then he, he spoke to them to, to see that they understood the lesson he was teaching them. And he said this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Set an example for them to follow. Now, I mean, if you'd like to wash my feet, you can. I'll, I'll let you. It might be a little awkward, a little weird, especially if it's the first time we met. But of course, that's not exactly what Jesus is calling us to, to, to physically wash one another's feet, unless, of course, circumstances call for it. The point is to serve one another, to, to show care for one another, 
That's what, that's what Jesus demonstrated in his life. He says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. What did Christ do? He came to give. And we see that. We see that. Give time. It's this resolve to steward the gifts that God has entrusted to me. Jesus, after all, said Acts 20 and 35. He's quoted there as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And think about this. I mean, everything we have, every good thing we have, everything, be it spiritual gifts or tangible assets, life, health, positions, possessions, talents, even time, every good thing we have, all of it comes from God that he has entrusted to us. That's that notion of being stewards. You see that phrase there in verse 10? As good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, a steward is something who's, they're, it, it's, they're given something that belongs to someone else, but they're given, they're given it in order to use it on the owner's behalf. So if you're stewarding, you're, sake, you're taking something, you're being entrusted with something that's not your own, but you're using it for the sake of the person that you are serving. So think of like a, uh, think of like a race car driver who gets in a car owned by somebody else with a lot more money than them, and there they are at the wheel. They are a steward of that vehicle to make it go as fast as they can to get around the track and to, and to, to get the most out of it for the sake of the owner. Or how about a financial advisor and investor, right? Taking money that's not their own and, and putting it to work to benefit the person who owns it. They are a steward. Well, in, in God's economy, we are stewards of the things that he's given us. And here's the deal. There isn't any good thing we have that belongs naturally to us. It's all God's. James 1 and 17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. So whatever you got, I mean, point to something in your life, some good thing you have that, that didn't first come from God. You got nowhere to point. That's Paul's point to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, he asked them this question. What do you have that you did not receive? Now, in Corinth, they were getting pretty boastful about different gifts and things they had going on like that. And Paul's like, you're being ridiculous. What do, you have, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? See, some people, some people are given gifts, blessings, assets, positions in their lives. And even sometimes in the church, people can sort of kind of get full of themselves and kind of have a bit of an ego. Like, hey, look what I got. Look what I, position I've got. Hey, I'm going to start feeling pretty good about themselves. But just think of how ridiculous that is. Like, remember in high school, You'd be out in the parking lot and you'd see some kid wheel in, you know, 16, 17 years old, wheeling in in a really nice car and just showing off, hey, look what I'm driving. I remember being a teenager seeing this and at the time thinking, this is so stupid. It's your dad's car. It's not yours. As if you got that. Yeah, it's not your car. It's your mom's car. Oh, nice. So your mom has something, not you. Well, that's what it is for us, you and I, you and I loved ones. It's ridiculous that we'd boast in what we have because it was given to us. We can boast in the giver. It is generosity, his greatness, and his kindness to us. But the principle of give time is a resolve. First of all, I got to recognize that the good things that I have actually don't even belong to me. They belong to God. And this whole idea of give time is a commitment 
to therefore what he has given to me, I must give to others for his sake. All that you have is given to you by God. So let me ask you, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with what God has given you? Robbie Simon says this, I love this. If you will live for Christ, you will give for Christ. You want to live for Jesus? Then it's a call to give for Jesus. If I'm to truly follow Jesus, then I must be given to giving of self. That's what give time is. It's a resolve to steward the gifts that God has given me. And we see that in this text here. Again, like I said a few moments ago, when, when Peter wrote 1 Peter, he was addressing believers who were, frankly, in desperate times. Persecuted, scattered, very poor, most of them, and yet they had great hope and precious, limited time to do what God had called them to do. Despite their difficulty, God still had them on mission. And Peter's reminding them that they've got work to do here in our text. Notice what he says at the beginning of the text where we read verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. So here's my next question. We talk about what do we mean by give time? Is that resolved to steward the gifts that God has given me? My next question is, when is give time? So let me ask you, when is give time based on verse 7 there? When is give time? Now. There we go. First prayer. Whoever said it over there, they get the sticker. They get the prize. Now. I don't know if you were just sort of waiting for somebody else to break or if you didn't know, but you see that, right? The end of all things is at hand. Okay. So give time is now. Like right now. Not next week. Not next month. It's now, the end of all things. That's not a statement referring to doom and gloom. It's rather, it's a reminder for believers that the completion of the age is coming. We are, in the New Testament, we are told we are living in the last days. You say, what are the last days? The last days is this time, this period of time, between the cross of Christ and the return of Christ. These are, in the New Testament, the last days. Now, there's many would agree, it seems we're very likely living in the last days of the last days. So if 2,000 years ago, Peter told believers, hey, we're living in the last days, the, the end of all things is at hand, how much more so should this land on us with a sense of urgency? When it comes to living for the Lord and giving for the Lord, the time is when? The time is? Now, that was better. It wasn't great, but it was better now. It's now, loved ones. It's now. We're in the last days. We don't have time to waste time. Every hour of every day, there are numerous demands for your attention, aren't there? It comes from everywhere. Everywhere. You got advertisers, supervisors, co-workers, spouses, children, friends, and, I mean, of course, many of these need our attention. Many of them should get our attention, but the point is, it's very easy to get consumed totally with even good things and neglect the best things, the most important things. That's why the 5G life, that's why this focus for our church to be intentional about how we use our time. Because if we're not intentional, time will use us. Peter reminds us, time is short. Eternity is at hand. I can't just let life pass me by. It's like the Tragically Hip used to sing. There's no dress rehearsal. This is your life. It's on. Are you making good use of your time? Let, let, me, let me ask it this way. If the Lord revealed to you 
very clearly, with certainty, if he were to come and to reveal to you that you've got one year left to live, one year, like next Thanksgiving weekend, you're going home. Not for Turkey, I mean home, home, to heaven. You got one year to live. 364 and a half days, it's almost lunchtime. If you knew with certainty from the Lord that you had one year to live, what would you do with that year? What would you not do? I suspect that if you knew with certainty you had one year, you would probably make some adjustments in your life. There are some things that you wouldn't do. There are some things you would definitely do. There's some things you would invest more time in and things you would choose to invest less time in. Why? Because the time is short and you know it and you want to make your life count for eternity and if you've only got a year, then you've got to max that time. What would you do if you knew you only had a year to live? Let me ask a follow-up question. In thinking about what you do if you only had a year to live, why not just do it? Anyway, because truth is, you and I, we may only have a year to live. Actually, if we want to get uncomfortably honest, we all know we, any one of us could have less than a year. If my theology is right, it could be any time. Any time, and we'd be in eternity. There isn't time to waste time. And part of our heart here, the 5G life, is to say, listen, time is short. So what are we going to do with it? Maybe there's some adjustments. If you knew you had a year to live, you'd make some adjustments. Why not just make those adjustments now and live with that sense of urgency? For some of us, we need to get off the spiritual couch. Put down the spiritual cheesies. Shut off the spiritual TV. Power down the spiritual phone. Get off the spiritual couch and get in the game. That's what Paul's point is in Romans 12 and verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. A few weeks ago, I was talking about my love of sloths. They're so cute. And part of their cuteness is they're so slow. Like, how is it possible for a living creature to be that slow and deliberate? But they, they are. They're so slow. And it's a great, great image. You know, don't be slothful in zeal. When it comes to living for the Lord, don't be like a sloth but be fervent in, in spirit. Paul says, serve the Lord. He's like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Eternity's coming. Time is limited. You got, you, you're following Jesus. We've got to make this life count. There's an opportunity in front of you right now. So don't let it pass you by. Now for some, as, we, as you hear this message today, you hear this and it just lands on you as discouraging. Because you hear what I'm saying and maybe you look at me and like, well, I've lived a lot longer than you. I can tell. Some of you have lived a lot longer than me. And then I've lived longer than some of you. And you can tell too. The reality is, is that some of us hear this and we feel so discouraged because you are where you are in your life and you hear this and you look back and you're like, I've, just, I've wasted so much time. And maybe you feel frustrated and that frustration can tempt you to just despair and say, what's the point? Well, I think that there's a great point to be made, and that is, wherever you are, wherever you've been, now is the time. Now is the time. I got a great verse for you. If that's you, I got a great verse for you. This is written on my, 
on my, uh, my whiteboard in my office right now. Joel 2 and 25. Now, there's a whole context of this, but let me just give the verse and give the principle. The Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Now, again, there's a whole context for this. I don't have time to dig into that today, but let me make this point. If you will today step forward in faith and obedience and say, God, so help me, it's give time, and I'm here and I'm ready, and step forward in obedience, God has a way of making up for lost time. God has a way, even though maybe you've wasted a lot of time, and maybe you've only got a little time, God has a way of taking a little time and making it big time. If you will trust him, and you'll step out in faith. That's why it's so important you get this principle that give time is now. It's right now. God has a way of taking your obedience and making it count big. You, you, you can't sit and tell yourself that I'm going to get around to this. No, tell yourself to shut up. That little voice that says, yeah, later, I, you know, I got I to gotta take some time and think about this. No, don't take too long to think about this because time is on now. And the devil, I mean, he'll try to distract you and get all kinds of things. Tell him to leave you alone. You got business to be on. The reality is that you can tell yourself there's, there's more time later, but the Bible says the time is right now. There's a golden opportunity in front of you. Working for Christ, living for Christ, is, is already underway. The, the, the clock is ticking. There's no time to waste time to be serious about give time. When is give time? Give time is now. Now, great question that flows out of that is, okay, okay, so I'm ready. Okay, give time is now. I got a sense of urgency, if not holy panic. What do I do then? How, wh- wh- where do I put my foot? Like, how, how do you do? What do you do to do give time? How, how do I apply this? How do we do give time? Well, there's three things that I, I find here in this text that gives us biblical direction about how to do give time, what it consists of, what it looks like. How do we do give time? We do give time, firstly, by seeking seriously the God we need. Seeking seriously the God we need. Verse 7 again, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, and sober-minded, notice, for the sake of your prayers. So the emphasis here is on praying, a serious kind of praying. In fact, that, those terms there, my Bible, it says self-controlled, sober-minded. Your Bible might render it something like alert or watchful or something, or, or being sober. The, the idea there is there is an awakeness. There's an, a watchfulness. I, I know that the times are serious, and it calls for seriousness doesn't mean there's no place for humor, but there's no place to just lounge. There's no time to lounge around. There's an alertness. There's an awakeness. There's a godly maturity. And from that godly maturity, from that awakeness and alertness, I pray. It's the kind of praying you do when you realize the time is short, eternity is at hand, and I got work to do. And it's that kind of praying that Peter's calling for, seeking seriously the God we need. If we're going to do give time, we need God. Remember where we began this series, Jesus and John, in the Gospel of John, he says, John 15, abide in me and I in you. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll accomplish nothing of any eternal value without the power, the powerful working of Jesus in my life. And so I need him. And I got to pray like that, that I need him. Seeking seriously the God 
that we need. Not lulled to sleep by Satan, but attentive and vigilant, praying like it depends on God, because it does. I've got a quote here from Daniel Henderson. I find this so helpful. He says, Our spiritual enemy is fully aware of the power and promises available to us in prayer. Like He don't like prayer meetings. He knows that every, mer- every major spiritual revival began with prayer. True that. He knows we are all called to being praying menaces to his cause. I love that. We're called to be praying menaces to Satan. I want to be a praying menace to the devil. Therefore, Satan knowing this, he fights us from every angle to keep us from praying effectively. The devil launches his weapons of mass distraction to keep us too preoccupied with other things to take time to really connect with God. Next slide. He bombards us with fiery darts of doubt to keep us from praying in faith to the one who is a reward of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six. Our enemy seeks to discourage us at every turn because he's threatened by believers and congregations that take prayer seriously and pursue Christ passionately. See, the devil works to distract us from what we're called to be attentive to, seriously seeking God as we set out in give time. He distracts us with sports, distracts us with stuff, distracts us with sex, spending our resources, spending all of our resources on houses and cars and leisure, when at the heart of it, at the root of it, we are called to seek God, whom we seriously need. Losing sight of the fact that we're in a battle. The battle is real. Peter here is really calling us to have a wartime mentality. To be alert, to be watchful. That's how we do give time, by seriously seeking the God we need. Priority of prayer. Second, how do we do give time? By sharing generously the things we have. Notice he talks about love there in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, so really, genuinely. Then he says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, he doesn't mean that our love for one another can somehow remove our sins. Only Jesus can remove our sins and his loving act of dying on the cross for us. When you trust in him, your sins are removed because of what he has done. But the phrase there, it doesn't mean we can take away each other's sins, but I think it gives the notion of, of while there's grievances and differences that arise among us, Love enables us to bear with one another and to press on and to overcome those things without dividing us. And he emphasized that, doesn't he, about this notion of love. And then he gets, verse 9, really practical about love, like loving each other practically. Verse 9, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Now, hospitality in the ancient world was really important because lodging was so expensive. And think about the context again. You've got believers who are persecuted, who are exiled and scattered all over, who are the first recipients of this letter. And so you've got certainly scenarios, situations in which people are maybe coming to a new area and, and they don't have anywhere to stay. And so what are believers called to do? To take what God has given me, namely my home and my living space, and to share it with a brother or sister, maybe a family who's in desperate need. That's the notion in the context. The principle is taking what God has given me, entrusted to me, and sharing it with others. 
No, we can practice hospitality too. There's a practical way to, to encourage and to love one another. You think about, you know, using your home. You say, well, Ross, I, I'm really small. I got a tiny little apartment. Great, use it. You say, well, I've, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't have a big house like they have. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. Use what you got, what God has given you. Use it for his glory. So, yeah, I know, but people come over and I can't cook anything. What, you can't boil hot dogs? People love good hot dogs. I love good hot dogs. Even, even a, a half-decent hot dog is good any day of the week, as far as I'm concerned. Got ketchup, mustard. We're good to go, man. We're, ba- we're in. That's awesome. You, you, you can do that. You're like, oh, you know, I'm not very tidy. I'm not very small. It just sounds like excuses. That's what it sounds like. So stop with the excuses and look around. What have I got? What have I got that I can use to show love, to care, to represent Jesus? Maybe you got a car. You can use that. It's a, maybe it's a tool in some way. You can use to bless another. I was so blessed by this. I talked to some friends of ours. It just sort of came up in our conversation. Their, their family van, they were without it all summer because there was a missionary family home for the summer, and they loaned them their van for the whole summer. That's a pretty big sacrifice to give up the family van so these missionaries can get around to where they needed to be. They needed to be. Maybe, maybe God was calling you to love and to serve in a way like that. Or maybe it's not even just the tangible things. Maybe it's your abilities. You know, think about what God has given you. Some of you, God has given tremendous ability. You can fix things and build things. When my friends have home projects, they don't ask me on purpose because <laughs> they don't want my help for that. Oh, Ross, you can come and pray. You can come and pray for us. You're fun to hang out with, but put down the hammer, please. I, I'm pretty useless with practical stuff. Right? I try on some things, but some of you are amazing. Like you can just create things and make things, and God's given you that. Maybe you make a living by it, but he's also given you to serve others in it. You can fix things. You can, maybe you're not really good at much of anything, you're just, but you can carry things. You can offer help. You can offer assistance. You can cook. You're like, I can't cook. You can boil hot dogs. Work a barbecue. As long as it's not totally blackened, you're good to go. Maybe you have musical ability, athletic ability. How, how can I use my athletics? You might be surprised at what God would do, the opportunities he would put before you with the athletic ability. Maybe you feel like, I don't have much of anything. Well, do you have time? Use your time to meet needs, to encourage. How about money, finances? Like, oh yeah, preacher, I knew you were going to get to money eventually. Give time. Well, that's part of our giving. And the New Testament principle is to give generously. To give generously. Jesus spoke frequently about money because it reveals what we value. Like if we all got out our bank statements here, let's just look at our last six months of activity. What would it reveal about me, about you, with regards to what we value? Well, Scripture says it would reveal quite a bit, actually, maybe more than we'd care to acknowledge. But the reality is that the Lord has provided for us, yes, so we can provide, so we can live. But also he's provided for us financially so that we can give financially. Yes, to your local church, to missions, to advance the gospel, to care for others, believers, and to alleviate misery in this world. We're called to give. He says, show hospitality. Give of what you have. And notice at the end of that verse, I wonder if Peter just paused, like, oh, yeah, and one other thing, without grumbling. Without grumbling. Like, it's one thing to give, but let's just get honest. Sometimes we can get grumpy about giving. 
Like I, I find it's easy for me to get grumpy about giving when I start to notice that it's costing me. Even take hospitality, just for example. Having people into your home, it's having people, other people into your home, into your space. They do things differently than I do in my house. Like they sit in my chair. And they, 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 the way they eat is different. And then they, they want more. And then, and then, and then, they, and they, and then they, they smell different. And it's, it's all just, just smell. You know what I'm talking about. Don't sit there and pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You get people into your home, and all of a sudden, you start, it starts to expose, oh, I'm a little more possessive about my stuff than I thought I was. Without grumbling, he says. You know what? God loves a cheerful giver. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. God loves a cheerful giver. So there's a sense in which, if you're going to grumble and complain about it, just keep it. Just keep it and miss out on the blessing. Because like God, you got to understand this whole give time. God is not needy. Like, he's not running a telethon right now saying, how much have we raised today, pastor? No, no. He's got everything he needs. The call is for us to participate in what he is doing and experience his joy in the doing, in the giving, just like Jesus. He said it's more blessed, more joyful, more happy to give than to receive. So let me ask you, let me ask you an awkward question. What has God put in your hands and what are you doing with it? It's one of them, there are two-part questions. What has God put in your hands and what are you doing with it? Think of your time. Think of your talents. Think of your treasure. What am I doing with these? Would you say you're sharing generously? Because that's what give time is all about, seeking God, seeking God seriously for what we need and giving generously the things we have. The third way in which we do God time is by stewarding selflessly the gifts we're given. Stewarding, again, it's not mine, it's his, but he's entrusted it to me. So stewarding it, using it selflessly, because it's not mine, it's his, and he's put it in my heart to give. And that's what Jesus did. So selflessly, I give the gifts that I'm given. He uses this word, he talks about gifts there in verse 10. He uses the word gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Now gifts here, I believe he's talking about spiritual gifts. And maybe another time and season in our church, we'll do a deeper dive on spiritual gifts. But for our purposes here this morning, understand that when we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're talking about enablements that God gives us to equip us, to enable us to do what he wants us to do, to build up the church and to advance the gospel. It's, it's, it's different from talents. Like, like you know, Sidney Crosby is talented and Adele is talented. And there's, there's talents that are just spectacular and noteworthy, but that's not spiritual gifts. Gifts are given to us by God. They are for the upbuilding of the church and the advance of the gospel. And when we use it, it's God's means by which to do great work for his kingdom. And here, Peter says, he tells us some things. In fact, as far as I can see, he tells us at least four things. First of all, every believer has at least one gift. Many of you, maybe even most of you, have more than one spiritual gift. But everybody's got at least one. You see that? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You say, well, what's my gift? Well, you got to find out. But I would say to you, 
one way to, not a great way to find out is, the way to find out would not be doing a survey. Surveys have their place, maybe, in helping to confirm something. But if you really want to know what your spiritual gift is, you know what you need to do? You need to serve. And you will discover it by serving. In fact, you'll discover what your spiritual gifts aren't. And you'll discover what they are. Get engaged in serving. That is the way you're going to find out what your spiritual gifts are. Because you're going to experience that. And others are going to confirm it for you. To say, you know, you know what? The way you, you, you just led that study... Maybe even you shared that word, and it was a well, God used that. There's different kinds of gifts. That's the third thing. Peter categorizes them as speaking gifts and serving gifts. You see that in verse 11? Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So speaking gifts, we went through the New Testament. I don't believe we have an exhaustive list of gifts in the New Testament, but if we went through the New Testament, we could find all kinds of different speaking gifts. Like just for example, like gift of teaching or exhortation or evangelism, sharing the gospel with those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus. There's, there's, we're all called to be evangelists, but some are gifted at that. They just have God has enabled them to to share the gospel in such a way that it just seems to be more fruitful and more effective. There's also serving gifts, which includes things like leading or mercies or helps or administration. So thankful for people with serving gifts. There's different kinds of gifts, and that's what he means when he talks about as being stewards of God's varied grace. So we're a collection, we're a body of people whom God has gifted in different ways, and it's on purpose. So we can complement each other. Where one is gifted in one way, another's gifted in another way, and we serve together to build up the church. And they're all important. And it's no consolation prize. They're all valuable. They're all important. And the key here is to use them. And that leads us to a fourth thing, the fourth thing here uh, that I noticed from this verse. We're given these gifts to use them for God and for his purposes. So it's not like a gift you get at Christmas where you open that up and it's, it's mine. No, it's a gift you're given to use. You're, you're actually, you're a conduit of that grace gift from God. Think of it this way. The spiritual gifts that God gives us, the way he's gifted you, it's not a souvenir. It's a gift for you to use. I got a souvenir here with me. And um, I know it's give time Sunday, but you're not having this, okay? I'm not sharing this. It's a baseball, and uh, it's in this case. We don't play with this ball. We just look at it, okay? Got it? Don't ask me for it. You can't have it. Uh, the reason it's so special to me is it's not just because it's a Major League Baseball, because it's autographed by a Cy Young Award-winning Hall of Fame pitcher who actually a few years ago died tragically. He used to play for the Blue Jays and the Phillies. His name is Roy Halladay. And uh, he autographed this baseball. It sits in my home. And uh, no, you can't have it. And I'll be watching to make sure nobody takes it. But it's just sitting up here. Now, this here is a souvenir. If my kids come and say, hey, Dad, let's go play some ball, we're not grabbing the holiday ball to throw and to hit and to do fielding practice. No, no, we'll get the other one. Okay? But sometimes we might overlook the fact that God has given us gifts not to have as a souvenir, but to use so that gift of mercy, that gift of helps, that gift of administration, he's given you to that, to hit, to throw, to field, to catch, to use it. If you call Hope Niagara your home church, 
It is our shared expectation that you will give, that you will serve. When our church was first planted, our founding pastor, Pastor Daryl, used a picture that people have told me has just meant so much to this church over the years. And it's the, this, it's this idea that as a local church, we're a battleship. We're like a battleship. We're not a cruise ship. Like a cruise ship, we got lots of passengers. There's a handful of people that serve, that serve drinks and meals and put on performances and dances and clean the pool and all that kind of stuff. A cruise ship, it's mostly passengers along for the ride and a handful of people working. No, but instead, our heart is that we would be a battleship. A little while back, my wife and I had the real privilege to go and to visit a very famous battleship. The battleship is called the Missouri. And the Missouri saw action, amazingly saw action in World War II in the Korean War, and also in the Persian Gulf War in the early 90s. And um, we got to, to tour this. It's been decommissioned, and now it's just a, it's a place where people can go and uh, visit. And um, I, amazing, just touring this ship, this battleship, this real, it's got such a great history. But you know what I noticed, though? As I went throughout this whole giant ship, I noticed that there was no place for passengers. There was a place for a different crew that would work in maybe in the coal room or work with munitions or cook the food or drive the ship. But everybody on that ship's got a job. Everybody is in give time on the Missouri. And loved ones, that's our heart here as a church. You can't just sit here because that's not following Jesus. There's times of healing. There's times of respite. But give time is now. And that's our heart. Stewarding selflessly the gifts we're given. We do give time by seeking God seriously, giving generously, sharing selflessly. Now finally, why do we do give time? Why is that? Well, it's not because God needs the help. It's not because he's struggling to get the mission done. No, he is fully sufficient for the task. But we do it, we do give time for the glory of God, to give God glory, to bring glory to his name. Look at verse 11 again. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves, notice, by the strength that God supplies, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you notice that in God's design, he gives the strength to do the giving. He gives the strength to do the working. And that's how he gets the glory. When we, weak as we are, and as broken as we are, step out in faith and obedience and serve him, he shows up with grace help. He works in us and through us in such a way that when lives are changed, when people repent, when people believe, when people are encouraged, when the church is built, it's not us who gets the glory because we're, we're just, what are we? What do we have that we weren't given? No, God gets the glory because he showed up in power and that's what he does. And you've, many of you have seen that. You've stepped forward to serve the Lord and he's given you love for people that did not love you back. He's given you encouragement when everything around you is discouraging. He's given you a kind word that turns away wrath. 
He's, he's given you opportunities to share hope with others who they actually listened. And maybe you're not going to go write a book about how it went, but he gave you courage and they heard and God's working there. And you've, you've seen this, you've experienced this in your home, in your church, in your life, how God will show up in power. And I would say that one of the reasons that many people get discouraged and disillusioned about following Jesus is because they don't do anything. And see the connection? God is ready to give strength so as he will get the glory. So it means when I step forward to serve in faith, I'm trusting God to show up with the power. And when he does, it's awesome. It's an amazing thing. Many of you have experienced it. I'm experiencing it even today. I prayed at the outset. I don't have it. That's how I feel today. But the Lord, the Lord helps. He shows up and he, he helps. And he does it on purpose so he gets the glory. In fact, the weaker you feel. But if you're willing, God says, you're the one. Let's do this. I'm going to show up in power. God's ready to give strength to the person who will give of self by faith. They'll experience God when you step out and work for him. But if you sit and spectate, you'll miss a golden opportunity. So don't sit and spectate. So let's review. What is give time? It's a resolve to steward the gifts that God has entrusted to me. If you were in Jesus, he's entrusted to you much. When is give time? It's now. The time is short. We do give time by seeking seriously the God we need, sharing generously the things we have, and stewarding selflessly the gifts we're given, and we do it all to the glory of God. Now, I've got five questions for you to think about as we seek to say, okay, what do I do now? One, what are you doing with what you have been given? Honestly, what are you doing? What are you doing now? Are you using it? Two, are you following Christ in giving of self? Remember, the target is I am a Christ follower. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If I'm going to follow Jesus, it's a call to give of self. Am I following Jesus in giving of self? Three, is our church better, stronger, because you're in it? I don't mean like what kind of mojo do you bring to the service. I mean, are you giving of yourself? And therefore, we are blessed and encouraged and built up. Fourth, when the end comes, what will you wish you did now? Fifth, what are you going to do now in response to what you're hearing. May not surprise you, you got a couple suggestions. One thing you can do now is just say, you know what, I'm ready to give. I just don't know where to put my foot next. What I would encourage you to do is take hold of one of those connection cards and write that down. Make sure you put your name and contact info so we know who it is. And my commitment is we will do our best to help you figure out where to put your foot next. Most of our ministries, not all, but most of our ministries in our church right now, there are opportunities to serve right now in most of our ministries, which leads me to another suggestion. Out in the lobby, we have different ministries 
in our church and a couple of ministries that we support, that we love, that are outside of our church, that can be for you great give time connection points where you can get involved serving. So this ministry is inside our church. We've also invited Clarity Pregnancy Options to come and be here, a ministry we love and, and care about, and also Rose City Kids is here. And we've got other ministries in our own church right here locally. What we're trying to do is we're trying to give you an opportunity to connect with these ministries and find out about them and to see, I wonder if this might be a place where even for a season, I might serve. So I would say, fill out a connection card, talk to the people at these tables. If nothing else, make them feel welcome and thank them for what they're doing, but be on the lookout for how God might use you. And then, of course, you could just go on our website and click on the tab that says Serving Opportunities and follow the instructions, and we will do our best to get you plugged in soon. Loved ones, it's give time. It's give time. So let's go. Let's pray.